to Mark uh, chapter 15. If not, we can uh, put up on the screen for you. You can follow along there as uh, we read from verses uh, 1 through to 39. We'll try and cover most of the, um, the events there. Uh, starting in Mark chapter 15, here is uh, God's word for us uh, today. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So the Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him there wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Uh, Lord, thank you today as we can just uh, read this passage of Scripture. And I ask and pray now that, God, this is uh, a word that is alive. This is a word that is true. This is a word that speaks to us of uh, real events that took place. So I just ask now you'd help us to understand, hear what's taken place on Good Friday. Father, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Good Friday on the Christian calendar is, uh, is marked by the gruesome death of Jesus Christ. This is no ordinary death in physical terms, as we saw some of those images there. It's a horrible and frightening death in the fullest possible terms. Is it really a Good Friday when we remember such a terrible thing like death? Really, in all honesty, nobody likes to remember the death of somebody at all, do they? Nobody likes to recall the last moments of somebody's life, do they? Even if it's your loved animal, which I've experienced with one of my dogs a few years ago when I got hit by a car, you don't like to recall back those last few moments as somebody or something is gasping their last few breaths. We would much rather remember the good times and the happy occasions about life other than think about death. But this is precisely what we do as Christians. We remember the very bloody death of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. In fact... The cross, which signifies the death of Jesus Christ, is one of the most recognised symbols of Christianity. If you look upon churches, if you look upon their signage, if you look upon their websites or their buildings, you'll often see a cross somewhere which is synonymous, signifying a symbol of Christianity. It's a cruel, torturous thing, but it's very much a part of Christianity. And Christians specifically remember the death of Jesus upon that cross. And again, as we've just seen that video giving some very vivid imagery there of the uh, grotesque nature of the crucifixion. Roman crucifixion is is nothing short of inhumane. I mean, that's only really a, a scant picture of what's really actually taken place. It's a barbaric way of, of killing somebody. It's a cruel and vicious way to kill somebody by crucifixion. If you saw a dog crucified on a cross, you would think what sort of a deranged person would go and do something like that. But before that, Jesus is firstly scourged here by two Roman soldiers. As we try and get a bit of a picture here of the sufferings that Jesus has gone through. It was no ordinary scourging, it was no ordinary whipping. It wasn't just pull the belt off and give them a slap across the back with the belt. A Roman scourging whip... Uh, was laced or tied, whether it was sharp, jagged, bone or metal or rock. Something that was actually tied into the very end of the scourging whip. And the whole design of these sharp instruments here upon this was when that was whipped into the victim's back, these sharp instruments would actually lock into the flesh, rip around and lock into the flesh. So when the soldier pulled the whip off, it was meant to tear the flesh apart. It was meant to open up this flesh Obviously, then blood would come pouring away. And very often when these whippings took place, with stroke after stroke, bone was exposed. As these things ripped and gripped and then just pulled away and exposed bone. It wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for people to actually die from purely the scourging alone, let alone go through the crucifixion. It was horrible. But here... Christians remember and reflect on the scourging of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. 
Is it really a Good Friday when we think about that? After this scourging comes the crucifixion. Jesus is already in a desperately tortuous state of pain and agony purely from the scourging alone. He's now stripped naked and he's laid down upon a Roman wooden cross. It's here that Jesus undergoes this torture called crucifixion. As he's spread out upon this cross, they take nails and they drive those nails through the wrist with no painkillers, with no anaesthetic, no nothing. It's just purely pounded through each wrist. His feet are crossed over on the bottom of this cross and a nail is pounded through both of his ankles to impale him upon this wooden cross. The only way for Jesus or any victim to survive on the cross, in that sense, is to, as it were, push off the nail that is through your ankles to lift up your body so that you can breathe. If you don't do that, you actually die of asphyxiation where you can't breathe. So you've got to imagine the incredible pain that is pulsating and soaring through the body as you push off that nail that's been pounded through your ankles to lift you up so you can breathe. Sometimes you get the picture of a cross. It's a very high instrument in some, of, uh, some stories you may have read. But often the cross was barely maybe 30 centimetres off the ground. And the whole idea of this was so people could come up to you and they could actually abuse you while you're impaled to the cross as well. And we saw part of that as we read there in that passage from Mark, that the priests and the people around there were mocking and abusing Jesus. Some would be probably coming right up to his face and saying that directly into his face. You can't do anything when you're on the cross. You are impaled there and you can't move. You just need to take whatever they give to you. It's a horrible death. It's a really, really horrible death. As I said before, you wouldn't even think of doing that sort of thing to your own dog or cat. If somebody did, you would think that person is sick in the mind to go and do something like that. But this is what Christians remember. This is what we remember on Good Friday. We think on and reflect upon the cross of Jesus Christ, this gruesome death of Jesus. And we ask ourselves, is it really a Good Friday when we think about this inhumane and barbaric form of execution? It just seems really strange that we gather together to talk about that and think about that. So why does Jesus have to die this way? Why this um, nearly butchered up like an animal at the abattoirs, why does Jesus have to die this way? What's all this about? In Roman times, uh, this death was only reserved for the worst of criminals. I mean, if you had gone and stolen something, you would not be crucified. But if you'd done a very uh, bad thing and a horrendous crime, an atrocious crime, it was reserved for those types of criminals. This death was only for those who were the vilest of all vile of criminals. If you did what these people did, you actually then died the death on a cross. And the whole thing was meant to deter other people from carrying out these violent or vicious crimes. Is Jesus that sort of person? Is that the reason why he's gone to the cross? Because he was a vile criminal. Was he a criminal of the worst type? The Bible tells us that a person who's hanged on a tree or crucified on a cross is a cursed person. In Deuteronomy, it tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. 
For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, it tells us there. Mark would be complete, so Mark's the writer of this gospel here that we're reading from. Mark would be completely aware of this when he writes this, that for Jesus to be upon a cross, he would be known as a cursed person. A cursed person. So what does it mean to say then that Jesus was a cursed person because he was hung upon this cross, nailed to this cross? What does the word cursed mean here as we think about that? Is Jesus subject to some sort of magical voodoo, witchcraft sort of spell that's been upon him? Has Satan put some sort of spell upon him that now he's actually cursed by this spell? Let's think about this word curse here and see what was first introduced in the Bible to help us understand here this curse that Jesus is uh, bearing. It says in Genesis chapter 3, we'll read through here as we read about this curse. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now you might be saying, Todd, what are you talking about there? What, what is all that about? Serpent and trees and eating and that? Uh, God is speaking to Satan and Adam and Eve right back at the beginning of time. Right back when God first formed this world and placed humanity upon it here in the Garden of Eden. And right back then is where the curse was uh, placed upon this world by God because of uh, simply Adam and Eve refusing to obey God and walk in his ways. They'd listened to the deceptive voice of the serpent or Satan and they ate of the tree and disobeyed God. And they're now facing God's judgment for that disobedience. And the curse mentioned there a couple of times in that passage in Genesis is the harmful consequences that God brings upon humanity as a just punishment for their rebellion towards God. Mankind is cursed or punished justly because they chose their own way as opposed to the Creator's way and life-giver's way and went their own way. As we see there, the curse was initially in that part of it, uh, you will... Um, you'll make a living out of the ground by the sweat of your brow. That's the reason why you go out there and you plant your vegetables in the garden and all these weeds come up instead of the lovely, nice, ripe tomatoes. That's part of the curse. And it frustrates us. And if that doesn't get them, then insects come and get them. It's just all part of this curse, these harmful consequences that God has now willed into this world purely because we have refused to live with him as the central person and the central position in our lives. Adam and Eve rejected God in his ways as their creator and they chose to, to do life their way. And God says, if you reject me, you reject life then. And then you receive death as a result. So here we have Jesus, 
a cursed man having been crucified upon a cross. So maybe just a little bit, the picture's becoming a little bit clearer here why Jesus is cursed. At the cross, Jesus is bearing that curse that God has put upon mankind in their rebellion towards him. At the cross, Jesus is taking all of God's harmful consequences directed to our disobedience and our rebellion before him and for the sin that we've committed in doing that. At the cross, Jesus is suffering God's right wrath directed towards our sin. He's bearing that curse. And the death of Jesus here at the cross reveals incredible things about God, amazing things about God, really important things about God. Firstly, God is absolutely serious about our rebellion and our rejection of him. It says here in uh, Romans 8.32, it says this, And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously uh, give us all things? There's a picture there. It says, How he who did not spare his own son. God didn't spare his son from the justice and the punishment that he decreed upon our rebellion and our sinfulness and our rejection of who God is. God did not withdraw his son from his complete justice here at the cross. Sin had to be shown for all of its utter ugliness and its contempt of God. Jesus was not spared. He was not withdrawn. Sin was shown to be exactly what it is. Terrible. Beyond any description we could possibly give it. To the point where God pours out his full force of his wrath upon his son carrying our sin. So firstly, what we see here at the cross is God is deadly serious about our sin. He's deadly serious about our rejection of him and our rebellion of him. Nothing is swept under the carpet with God. God is serious about our sin. It will be dealt with. But the cross also reveals the incredible mercy and the grace of God at the same time. Jesus, who is absolutely sinless, without fail in any way at all, takes our sin upon himself. And it tells us that there in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cross here speaks of the substitution. It's like the interchange bench in a football game. Someone comes off and someone goes on. We deserve to be on that cross... But Jesus takes our place. He who knew no sin, Jesus, sinless, becomes sin for us. Jesus, who had lived a perfect life, Jesus, who had lived a life without failing God once and perfectly loving mankind all of his life, Jesus takes our place on that cross. The Bible calls him there as a spotless lamb, as pure and as innocent. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to bear God's wrath, but Jesus takes our place. The picture there is is we are the criminals, that we are the lawbreakers, we are the vile criminals who should be on there because of the way we lived in disregard to God. There's not one person in this room, there's not one person in this world, there's not one person that's ever existed that has ever been pure or holy or perfect like Jesus. Jesus takes our place on that cross. He bears the harmful consequences or the curse that God has placed upon mankind for their rejection of him and their rebellion of him. Jesus takes that curse upon himself. 
It's a glorious picture there of the mercy and the grace of God. I've often heard that people say that looking at the cross is looking at this sort of infinitely faceted diamond. Just every angle you look at, you see another picture of the wonder and the glory of God as you look at this picture of the cross. Here is God's love demonstrated for us at the cross. So is it a good Friday? Is it a good Friday? On one hand, that day is a horrible day. It's a horrible Friday. It really is. There's nothing good about it at all on one hand. Jesus, who's totally innocent, is butchered on a cross. He's carved up like a piece of steak and nailed to it. On one hand, you think, could humans get any worse? Could they get any worse in what they've just done? In that sense, Friday is a terrible day. But in another sense, a bigger picture sense... Good Friday is a good day. This is the outwork of God's glorious plan here on this particular day. His plan of salvation and rescue for lost, sinful people. People who could not save themselves. People who could not find their way out of the mess that we'd put ourselves into. What did the Roman centurion say at the end of all those events? Let's read it again in Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. He captured here what was happening. Taking all those events in, he said, truly this man, Jesus Christ, is the son of God. There was something about the way that Jesus died that caused the centurion to see that Jesus is the son of God as he pulled all those events together. Jesus had totally entrusted himself to the care of the Father as he carried out this plan of salvation that was determined before the world even began. In his last gasp of breath, Jesus was still showing complete trust in the Father. It was a willing choice of Jesus to commit himself to the Father to carry out this plan of salvation that would rescue lost humanity. And the Roman centurion says when he sees all of that, he says, truly this man was the son of God. So in that sense, the big picture sense, that Friday is a good Friday. It is a good Friday. Our sin has been dealt with once and for all. The curse has been spent on Jesus. And we are now free from the curse's ultimate penalty, eternal death in hell that Jesus has taken for us. To receive that, we must believe in Christ, we must turn from our sin, and we must allow him to rule our life, and we must allow this to happen joyfully within us. The death of Christ is an incredibly uh, good picture for us. Because in Jesus we find this amazing God who can identify with us in every possible way. This is another facet here of looking upon this as Good Friday. We still experience... Uh, the brokenness of this world, which is part of the curse that comes onto this world. The reason why we're sick or we suffer in any ways is because of the curse this world lies under, and every one of us experiences it in some way. Even in relationships where we feel we've been rejected, or relationships where we feel we've been abused and cut off, or relationships where we feel we are totally misunderstood, all of this is a part of the curse that we're under. We've shared our lives with people and put our trust with them, and yet they turn their backs upon us and disregard us. And these are incredibly painful times that any one of us can experience in some of the relationships we have in this world. 
Jesus knows all about that. Jesus knows all about that pain. He knows all about that forsaking. He knows all about that loneliness. This is what makes the cross incredible for us as we think about what Jesus has done for us in taking our place. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be isolated, cut off. God has turned his back on his son Jesus purely because Jesus is now bearing our sin upon himself. So ultimately, Good Friday is a Good Friday because Jesus was rejected so that we never have to be rejected by God. This is what makes Good Friday Good Friday. Because he has been rejected and taken our place, we will never have to be rejected by God. Jesus is forsaken so that we never have to be forsaken by God. Jesus suffers so that we will never have to suffer the eternal consequences of the curse because Jesus has taken that upon himself. In this life, yes, you and I will feel the consequences of the curse. And this may come in all sorts of different ways and at different times. But if we can just remember this, in Christ, you or I will never ever have to bear God's unrelenting wrath towards our sin in hell because Jesus has taken that on for us. And because of this, Good Friday truly, truly, truly is Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, thank you today as we just reflect upon the death of Jesus Christ, we reflect upon Good Friday and we reflect upon uh, the truth that is communicated there for us. Lord, it's so hard for us to even comprehend that. We feel so remote from something that took place 2,000 years ago. We feel like society and everything's just moved on. We're living in a whole new modern day and age. But Lord, these truths uh, do not change. That you are our God, that you are our creator. You are the one who gives us life and breath. You are our ruler. And if we don't love and serve you, Lord, we forfeit life. And every one of us have done that. And we've earned your justice. But God, remarkably in your mercy and your grace, you send your son to come to this earth to take that justice upon himself. So that today at Good Friday, we remember precisely what Jesus has done in those agonies of bearing at the cross. So Lord, today, please awaken our hearts. Maybe for some of those sitting in front of me, Lord, have never ever grasped or comprehended what Good Friday is all about in a real sense or a big picture sense. Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would begin to open up their eyes to see that and you would draw them to Jesus as their loving Saviour. Father, we ask that and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of Good Friday, which uh, the church has carried on for a uh, 2,000 years since the death of Jesus, is a, call it a ceremony or a sacrament. And what we do is we, um, you can, uh, Jamie and Nate can bring out the... Um, the communion now, is we remember the death of Jesus Christ uh, by taking uh, some elements. And these elements are a cup and a cracker. And in Luke uh, chapter 22, Jesus actually talks about this. This is the night before uh, he's about to die. And he says this in Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's talking about the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
and he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So is Jesus here actually instituting what we call the Lord's Supper, you might have heard it uh, said before. He's actually instituting a ceremony that will help us to remember what has taken place. Because if you're anything like me, you are so easily prone to forget things. We just forget. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we don't do it as a church every week. We probably do it maybe a couple of times a month. But Jesus is actually making a point here. Remember this. Remember this. And when we hold these elements that are getting passed out now, it's to remember this bloody death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. It's to remember just how serious sin is. It's to remember that things weren't just swept under the carpet and God just gave him a little slap on the wrist and said, no, you can go home now. It's to remember that Jesus was brutally slain upon that cross. But it's also to remember the unbelievable mercy that God shows to us in sending his son to take our place on that cross. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So it may be symbolic that we take a drink or we take a cracker, but it symbolises probably the the most earth-shattering event that's taken place on earth is when Jesus was um, crucified at the cross. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this by remembering that sin is serious. And do this in remembrance of me because my mercy washes over that sin. I have sent my only son to come and take that place of the cross so that you do not have to bear my wrath. So as we hold this cup and as we hold this cracker, this is what it symbolises. The bread is the broken body. It's the body that had those nails pounded through the wrists and through the ankles. This cup is the blood. The blood that poured out from Jesus. This blood is the one that actually gives us the remission of our sins. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us as we hold these things. So we are to hold these and remember who Jesus is and what he's done as part of God's plan to rescue and to save us. So take the cracker. Let's just leave that now in remembrance of what Christ has done. Take the cup as well, again, signifying the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Can I just ask perhaps one person to um, just uh, give a prayer of thanksgiving?
the sacrifice of Christ. Lord Jesus, we spend this time in thanksgiving because you took our place. We just deserve everything that you bore that day. So Jesus, in, in thanksgiving, we, we now remember you, we remember your pain, we remember your suffering, and we remember your substitutional death for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're just going to have the, uh, the music team come now and just uh, lead us in a final song as we um, close our service. Um, today, if you've been sort of awakened to that and you would like to have some more discussion about the cross and about Jesus, about Christianity, um, I would love to catch up with you and uh, spend some time just talking with you and answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Stand together.